1: We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey.
2: Hey, TSL family, just a couple of housekeeping announcements before we dive into the show. Um, The first is that I'm kind of smack dab in the busyness of the festival circuit for Always Lola. So first of all, apologies that this is going up a day late and I ask for your continued grace as just navigating travel and recording and producing remotely, um, which is something I'm usually not doing. So thanks for your patience. Um, We are going to do our best to be getting the show out weekly and as high quality as possible while I'm kind of slammed, gratefully slammed by all the busyness surrounding my film Always Lola. I'm connected to that. Two very exciting festival announcements dropped this week. One is that we are playing the Boston Film Festival on Saturday, September 24th. The ticket link for that should be up very soon. Um, We're playing... In the evening at 9.15 at the Boston Commons. So it's a very exciting screening. The second is the Heartland Film Festival, which is in Indianapolis. So for any of our Midwest listeners, I'd love to have you there. Um, You can follow all of the information you need to know on our website, which is www.alwayslolafilm.com. But I know we have listeners all across the country, and I will be at both of those screenings, and I would love to meet you. So if you're East Coast or Midwest and want to check us out in either Boston or Heartland, I'd love to meet you. You can find info on the website. And without further ado, let's jump into the show.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. So today we're gonna talk about adaptations, um, adapting from existing material. I think most screenwriters have thought about this or done it. So we're gonna talk about both the creative and practical aspects of this.
0: But before we get into that, let's talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, so good to have you back.
1: How was your your week? Uh, It was good. Um, I have been uh, very busy and honestly overwhelmed with work and life and all of it. And so I had to work very hard to make my life much smaller. And so um, I just felt too stretched with too many things going on, uh, too many things pulling me. So first thing I did was get off social media which changed my brain almost instantly. It was like all of a sudden, I, I wasn't um, connected to so many other things going on that didn't need me. Like I was putting myself in a position of like, everybody needs me. Everyone's counting on me. I have to know what's going on. But once I decided to pull myself off, and I did everything—Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, whatever—just um, my life felt more real. Like my life. Like I was like, oh, this is my real life, and I love so many of the people that I interact with on Facebook and that's not it. It's that um, I just really need to focus on like my husband and my daughter and my work and me and my dog. You know, it was like this revelation. Oh, right. My life, <laughs> you know, the real life. Um, and uh, I have a lot of projects uh, right now in different stages. And one of them, we are waiting for the green light, which Ooh. I hope happens. Oh yeah, fingers and before I leave for Italy at the end of the month, um, but yeah, but that has been um, kind of a big deal for me to be off Facebook, and and that's not to say I'm off it forever. You know, I did pop on this Sunday and looked at it for 15 minutes, and I was like, eh. You know, I I didn't it. I doesn't have the, I because I get very obsessed. I think I was addicted, you know. So I I have to be very careful because huge time suck for me. Like I can waste hours, which is just not what I need to be doing. But um, my daughter's back in school, which means I do not have my whole family at home with me all the time, which is also really great. I have time to work and focus. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what's been going on. It's a lot. Uh, It's a lot. I've, I've been in a growth, learning, challenging myself kind of space, trying to get rid of the things that don't add to my life. Which is boundaries, hard to look man,
0: at. so much of yeah. our life now in this modern age is about boundaries yeah. and even real, but, realizing we even need them don't have them even on stuff yeah. we like you know yeah like so i had
1: yeah. so i had to do this thing where i have like identified the things that don't add or things that make me unhappy and take them out and then i'm like okay well i need to fill that space up now with things that do add and do make me happy Right, I have to do both, so that's what I'm working on right now. Like, what do I want to fill that time with, um, than other than eating eating just cookies. work, rather <laughs> than eating cookies? And, and but you know, uh, you know, one of the things I've done. This is so silly. Is I have a very complex skincare routine now. It gives me great sense of control and power, and it 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 makes me feel like I'm doing something positive for myself. I love I it. Very silly but I've never had that before. So I've only- I decided
0: and trying to do the same thing, and this is not about giving me pleasure or anything, but because it doesn't, but I decided that when my dog, I feed my dog while he eats, I do 10 squats and 10 pushups. Nice. Because I have to feed yes. the dog every day, right? Like my yeah. brain needs something I do every day to even remind me to do it. To, so- yeah. You know, that means, Lauren, The next time you see me in person, I'm going to be ripped. No, not really. You,
1: but. I'm sure. But 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 how this relates to career and yes. screenwriting and all of that is that I realize I uh, need a schedule, and I and I if I I have to have the discipline to stick to it. And having my daughter back in school is really helpful. I get up, I take her to school, I come home, I walk the dog, I work out. Because if I don't work out, I'm kind of messy. So working out really helps. And then I have to sit down and work right away. So that's what not having social media on my computer does is that I can't spend like hours checking on people and responding to people. It's like, no, you gotta start working. And if I don't start work right away, if I don't have a project on the deck then my day gets kind of squirrely. So like this morning I came and I was like, oh, I have to do this. And I wrote some episode ideas for a project I'm working on. And I was like, okay, right, then that sets that sets me up so that I'm not dreading, I'm not putting off, I'm not anticipating how hard it's gonna be, I just sit down and do it. Um, awesome. Because, uh, and I'm, I'm trying, I've been doing it for two weeks now and I'm, I'm hoping I can maintain that, but I have to have that structure. Just like my daughter loves structure, my kids love st- I have to have structure too. Um, because then at the end of the day, I feel like I've accomplished something and I have accomplished something. Um, but and that's how I'm getting more work done too. That's why taking social media off the table and giving myself some discipline. You know, I've tried this before. We'll see how this goes. But wow, I'm working you,
0: really hard. It's <laughs> good. It's really, really good. Jeff, how was your week?
2: I want to say first, like, thanks for sharing that, Lauren. It's funny, I'm feeling this healthy sense of conviction that I might want to do the same thing. So I'm really gra- I'm really glad that you share that because I'm like, oh yeah, I do like I waste time, you know, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And it's hard, part of me thinks. You know, we're both extroverted, Lori. Well, I don't want to speak for you, but I think you've said that on the show before. It's hard sometimes as an extroverted writer because the job necessitates a lot of alone time. You know, it's you and your characters and you on the page. And sometimes I feel like social media creates like a false sense of social life. And that can be a nice way to feel like you're around people. (laughs) So I totally get it. What I've been trying to do, and I'm not patting myself on the back or anything, but I've been trying to have like one coffee a week with someone. And that can be like professional or personal, but it's a way for me to like remember to like be with people just because sometimes that can not be a thing when you're a writer, which is sometimes tricky. Um, but thank you for sharing that. I feel like I'm excited about the idea of trying to do the same thing. <laughs> I, you guys are probably sick of hearing it, but I'm still doing the movie. <laughs> and we had a really, really exciting screening over the weekend. It was actually at the TCL Chinese Theater Hollywood, which is pretty cool because that's like a pretty famous theater. And, um, you know, I will say, I was speaking to one of my wife's co workers who was just like really encouraging me. He's like, Listen, you're gonna go home and think about who you met and what you need to do and how to follow up. But, like, he's like, Just take a minute and like tell yourself that you're standing in the Chinese theater, you just watched a movie, The Packed House, and they liked it. Like, that a lot of people won't get to do that. So, I took a minute and enjoyed it. And it was really a wonderful screening, but it is funny. And I'm hoping this connects to writing because I know I've been talking a lot about the movie. I'm excited to get back to the page, but um, there's, there's this constant pressure with your career where like when a success happens, you feel like you have to leverage it right away or parlay it into the next thing or like what's next. And, you know, I um, met some great people at the screening and was lucky to have a couple kind of exciting big shot people come and, you know, shake their hand and they seem to like it. And of course, like, immediately after the conversation you have to follow up with them and like how do I do it elegantly and like what should the email say how long should it be what am I asking for and that stuff can be hard but you know I think you have to remind yourself that like just because you have a victory doesn't mean that the next step has to be an Oscar right like you can have this feeling like the next thing has to be a very tangible, immediate, huge growth thing for your career. But you don't realize that you're planting these seeds that will pay off in six months or come later down the road. And, you know, I'm putting all this pressure on myself to handle each of these follow-up emails perfectly. But I think like saying thanks that they were there, maybe trying to grab a coffee or something can be enough. And like, I'm letting that be enough and giving myself grace if I don't have the perfect networking instincts to leverage every successful opportunity you have in your career. But It's a lot.
0: (laughs) It's, and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. All of those contacts, if you don't do it immediately, you know, they're still going to know who you are and that they saw the movie, even if it's a month from now, right. It's all, it's, you know. Or
2: two years from now. Right. That's the funny thing about this career is it's like certain things circle back in a way that you wouldn't realize. And but it is trying to just sometimes enjoy those victories rather than then panic about how they can get you another thing, you know. Oh, yeah, because be you hard. know,
0: that is the good part. Like standing in the Chinese theater is the good part. You gotta, you gotta enjoy it because you're just gonna the wheel's gonna turn, you're gonna be back into the blank page. <laughs> so I'm so glad yeah, you, this I'm is so it. glad you did that.
1: I'm so glad you did that.
2: But yeah, that's exactly right. It's just enjoying it.
1: Yeah, I think it's so great and congratulations and part of it is you've made the connection you've, you've made you've leveraged it because they came and they met you and they saw it and then two years from now somebody could come to them and say oh I have this project and they'll think of you and the movie right it, it's we've all had that right like years later someone comes back and was like oh I have this project I was thinking about you for and you're like wait what you know this one conversation we had so you know you've, you've already done so much of it by doing the work of making the movie I mean there are if there's if
0: there's agents or people like that circling or who said hello and shook your hand they might be the people I would follow up with quicker only because agents most of them have the intention span of rabbits meaning they're just there's so much coming in they're always looking for the next thing um so if it's about representation those I would not let percolate too long the rest producers all that kind of stuff you know just enjoy it and
2: and don't worry about the timing of it
0: um yeah congratulations that's so exciting
2: thanks well Meg how was your week
0: uh my week was good and weird because they announced Inside Out 2 at D23 this week Congratulations. And, uh, thank you and uh so it was wonderful and fun and there was a you know a bootleg copy on the web of Amy uh, Polar doing it so I got to see it uh and uh it was super fun. You know, it's super fun. It's also, though, pretty weird, because I am not off social media. And not only am I not off of it, but I start to read comments underneath the announcement. And of course, there's many, many people who are super excited and can't wait. And they're so happy. And of course, but your brain doesn't remember any of those. It just starts to see why is Disney doing sequels I thought Pixar was never doing a sequel again I'd rather see Moana too please don't ruin this the bar's too high you can never do it you'll never be able to make it as good as the first one you <laughs> know it's like the voices in your head have manifested outside of yourself and you're writing the script like I had to work this weekend and I'm literally writing the script as I'm also reading all of this stuff <laughs> so you know, they're talking about something that I'm still literally trying to create on a blank page. Like I'm literally staring at a blank page thinking, what is this scene? How, how are we, how are we getting into this? How do we connect that to any, to that? Does this even work? Oh, let's go read more comments. You <laughs> So, I mean, it, I did, I did send it to Lorian and she was like, stop, stop doing that right now. Stop reading that, which I did. Or give you a whole separate. list
1: of things to do right right i ate a lot of drinks drink water yeah i just just, i
0: know it's stupid and my boat's getting bigger and bigger but um i did that and then um i i did what i found interesting is i really didn't want to watch the emmys and i don't know why and i realized i had a little fomo i just you know my passion projects both of them are series for television and i just have not had time to do the work I want to do on them and my producers are like ready and like it's all set for me to do it I just have to and so I just felt a little bit like FOMO but even more than that upset at myself for not having I let myself down by not doing these passion projects and I just you know you're just like I don't know so it just it was interesting to catch myself beating myself up and feeling like Uh, that sounds hard let yourself down but it is life I mean life is you have kids my kid had a medical condition this past week and you know stuff happens and unfortunately that's why they're called passion projects because sometimes they get pushed to the back
1: Um, what if you reframe it so that you're like yes I had this FOMO and I feel bad but maybe this is an opportunity to like be inspired an hour a week you can work on it I, I, you know, I've tried so much. I've
0: tried slacking with our wonderful group and I've tried, which and then I guess get too tired to wake up and then, I, but I know CBD gubbies, by the way, have changed my life. But um, in terms of being able to actually go to sleep, which is helping my brain and my anxiety and everything, because I can actually sleep. Um, yeah. I don't know if I can, not right now. I can't promise an hour a week. We're working on the weekends. I'm working so hard and so fast. So I just have to let it be. I just have to let it be what it is. And then the last thing I'll say is that everyone knows my son's in college. And um, I get these funny little texts, like, my brain is fuzzy. What's happening? I can't think. And I dig into what's happening. Are you eating vegetables? You know, that kind of stuff. But then it's also, you know, I think going to college is like any artistic endeavor, especially when you're emerging, which is your expectations in your head of not just your projects, but you and your ability as an artist are so, there's a gap when you actually start doing it. And he's seeing the gap and it's starting to fuzz him out because his brain is like, what's that gap? Holy, then who am I kind of thing? And of course there isn't a gap. It's just normal. You, you learn stuff by doing right. You, you're, you're not a God. You actually are gonna get notes like every other artist in the world. Um, so I just think be doing art is seeing yourself in the art, with the notes, and that gap between what's in your head and that expectation of yourself and of the work versus what you do. And I was just trying to convince him, it's the peop- this is where most people quit. And what you gotta do is you just have to push through the gap, you just have to get over it by doing it, write it badly, do it and when you get to the other end of this your brain will learn that not only is what you've done more complex more real more human more compelling than what you had in your head because what you had in your head wasn't real and all of the kind of struggle and challenge and dealing with the gap is the vulnerability and the stuff that needs to go into the work there's a reason it exists and just get through to the other side of course which point he said or I could go have a beer, and I was like, "Or you could go have a beer." No, he can't because he's underage. Um, so we just started sending back little emojis about what it looks like to overthink, because that's also part of being an artist. But it was just—it's—it's it's wonderful to have him out in the world, reminding me, you know, me reminding him that yes, it's because you're an emerging artist, but also guess what I did this weekend? <laughs> Saw the gap between what I want this to be and what everybody's expecting it to be, and what it's turning out on the page. And you just got to sit there and be like, there it is. There's the gap. It's nothing personal. It doesn't mean anything about me personally. No one's going to judge it. Everybody has been. Everybody at Pixar knows the gap. Just, just keep writing. You just have to keep writing, as, as our slogan said. All right, so that's my week. Jess, my least favorite part, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't... But and yet my favorite part, because I get to hear the voices of
2: our listeners. Of course. So, Here's what I would challenge you with is you've been faced with the outer critics of people who don't feel like they're on your team. Remember all these people who are so on your team.
0: That's so good.
2: So as you all know, um, one of the best ways that you guys can help us is by leaving a five star review on Apple podcasts. Uh, What that does is that bumps our show up on the algorithm and helps other people find our show. So um, you might hear your review read on air if you share it with us. And again, it's just super, super helpful. So thank you so much to all of you who have done so. I'm going to start with F Love Photo, who says, Better than therapy. I came for writing advice and found that, plus the most honest, raw, and emotionally challenging discussions. I feel like I'm finding new ways to think about even things within my life and how that touches art and it's deep. Would recommend to anyone who's interested in writing, movies, and just hearing stories and learning about storytelling. You get all of it. Uh, what a great review. Thank you so much to F Love Photo. I feel the same way. I feel like Megan, Laurie, and are my um second set of parents in los angeles and i'm so grateful to both of you all right up next we have story to rewrite um instant motivation they're flamethrowers for writers fumes i'm talking bonfire creating muses that bring motivation and belief to a writer's spirit not only that they're funny knowledgeable and vulnerable at times they make me feel like a friend like i'm just hanging out sitting next to them and then they just turn to me and look directly into my writer's soul they pluck out every fear, hope, worry, and dream and bring it into the light and put it on full display. I truly can't get enough of the heart and soul injected into each episode. My only regret is that I wish I found it sooner. Man, what a wonderful and lovely review. So Thank nice. you so much so two story to Story2Rewrite for writing
0: written. That. It's great to have our listeners be writers, isn't it? Because then when, they, we, when <laughs> yes. they write reviews, they're also eloquent.
1: That's great. Um, Thank you, guys. Don't let that... Yeah. Don't let that intimidate you. You can also just leave a five-star review and say, awesome. Five-star review, like (laughs) it. Great. Like it.
2: (laughs) Um, So thank you so much to our listeners for your beautiful reviews and keep them coming. We're at 610 and it's ambitious, but I want to get a thousand by the end of the year. So let's see if we can do it.
0: Come on, guys. Come on. All right. So on to our topic of adaptation. Lorian, I know that you... um, I mean, there's, let's just say adaptation could be a lot of things, right? It could be a novel. It, I've d- adapted video games. I've adapted comic books, uh, remakes of other movies. Biopics are, my, are kind of an adaptation of a life. So I think we can talk about all of those things. Um, mm-hmm. But I know, Lorian, that you um, recently adapted a book.
1: You wanted to start and talk about it? Well, I, I adapted this book a long time ago into a feature, um, that has lived several lives. <laughs> um, I think the, the, so I've adopted um, kids books and I'm working on a comic book adaptation right now. And uh, the, the feature that I adapted from a book, I think the biggest part for me was understanding or trying to figure out what parts need to stay and what parts I can take out and what that means. Like, why did I resonate with the material in the first place? Um, and in that book I had, Meg, I think you gave me this advice. You're like, you have to kill the author. You have to kill the writer. The book is your partner. It's was like, oh, right. The book is my partner, not the author. Like I was so worried about changing things in the book in order, because a book is a beautiful thing but it's not literally a feature. Like you can't just take it and the scenes in that order and make it a feature. Um, especially this book, it's a first person narrative. Um, and so trying to find the narrative spine and I had to make some changes and it was really scary and really hard and there was a lot of crying and and chips but it was very it was a very big lesson for me and I'm glad I learned it the hard way because now I can look at something and be like okay I'm choosing this IP for a reason because I personally resonate with it what is the truth of this I can already see the truth in it or else it's not worth me my truth or else not worth me taking the project on And then figuring out between me, the IP, the IP holder, if they're involved in the project, the producer, sort of everybody, what the pieces are that can't change and then what I can change and then having more conversations about, well, if I change this, then this might need some, it's a negotiation. It's a constant negotiation, but the IP is your partner, which is how I like to look at it because I like working with partners. Um, uh, So yeah, and the feature came out uh, really well, I'm really proud of it. Um, and right now, the pro- it's a little bit moving forward, and it could go anywhere. For make it stop today, dead in its tracks, or you know, I could win an Oscar for best adapted screenplay. Anything in those in that spectrum, right? <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> so, we go. But but I think the scariest part, and I've talked about this on the show, is when uh, my manager sent my script to the the book author's agent and the author, and they read it. I was terrified because I had worked so hard to kill the author in my head so that I could do what I needed to do to make it a movie. And then here I was sending it to them. Uh, and I wrote a letter, but it was, that was really, really scary. Um, I survived. But you survived and,
0: and the author didn't you like it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah. great. You have my awesome. blessing. Yeah. Like, it, it no notes. It was just, you know. The,
0: the authors who... Yeah. Uh, are the greatest in terms of even for themselves are kind of understand that they, when they give rights away, that person now is using almost that as paint to paint a different picture because it's a different, it's a different uh, way to communicate and tell story. Like literally it's from internal mm-hmm. to visual to, so those are the happiest authors, I think, who realize that yeah. they just have to not get involved. I, it's funny. I just got, um, sent, a short story in which the author is one of the producers. And it's one of the reasons I passed, not because of anything about this person. I don't know this person, this person might be amazing. But on the list of cons, I was like, that's really gonna be hard. That's, it might be great. It might actually, when you got in there, be a bonus. But generally, in a general way, that's an added uh, hard, hard yeah. thing. Like if you're doing a biography and you're really, really close to the person and they're involved, great. And yet at some point you have to start pulling away from that, um, and put up the boundary. I mean, so I, I think of adaptations like paint, I have to paint a new picture. Um, and there is, like you said, in a way there's a ruthlessness about it, you know, of, um, because you love the author so much and you love what they wrote so much. It was so inspiring. You so want to do honor to it but you do also have to be a bit ruthless because now it's going to become yours. And there's a kind of ownership that has to happen about, well, Mm -hmm. there might be multiple thematics in here and you're pulling on this string, right? There might be multiple character point of views, but you need, especially if it's a feature, a main character. So you're gonna start to combine characters, give things to your main character, really start really, you'd be really, really willing to change it um, you know, I worked with a playwright and that was really interesting because she saw a story through dialogue, right? So if you're adapting a play, it's very, very different because film is about the visual medium. It's about behavior. Now, TV can, of course, be more play-like in terms of the dialogue-heavy scenes and getting people through dialogue, but you really have to start shifting what the medium is from comic book to film to yes which can have many kind of comic booky elements to it now given where we are with storytelling but it still has to have all the basis of the feature film structure and um and work in that story engine that we talk about so Mm -hmm. um you know, like we and then crazy things can happen when you get too loyal. Like I worked as a producer on a wonderful movie by Keith Gordon called Waking the Dead by Scott Spencer. And um he was very, very loyal to the book. Of course, it's Scott Spencer, it was amazing. It was an amazing book, but you know, in the edit room, the first cut was four hours because you know <laughs> it was two movies, yeah. right? So you because you have to start. That's the other reason sometimes as a features, you gotta start. It's distilling, distilling it down, um, looking for what are those crucial narrative points from the story you want to tell because it's still your story emotionally, thematically. What, is, what do you want to say with this, right? And in, in adapting a comic book recently with my husband, Joe Forte, um, we were working with the director and there were lots and lots of conversations about what is this about for you? There's a lot of different things in here in this comic book. And we can talk about set pieces till the cows come home, but what is this about for you? What is this character arc? And then we can pick and pull from the comic book to support that. Um, The other interesting thing that can happen in adaptations is relationships can shift. Like I have, um, if you look at the shipping news, um, if you look at the book versus the movie in the book, the main relationship is clearly with the love interest, Julianne Moore's character in the movie. But if you look at the spining structure of the movie, it's the daughter, right? And this is all substructural. I don't know that a, a viewer walking out of the movie theater would know that, but you as a creator, as a constructor, as a builder, as a storyteller, you have to start asking questions like that. Well, in this adaptation, what is the main relationship going to be? Uh, and it might shift from the book. Um, so I think that all, it's really just using the story as inspiration and paint, and then finding the what's important to you and those narrative beats, um, and then get to rebuild and create your own thing, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, in this uh, novel that I adapted, I had to create a love interest. YA story, right? I had to, I felt like you had to have a love interest. So I took a character that was not a love interest and I shifted him so he is, and I changed the ending. Uh, Full stop, change the ending. For me, it's the same story. I just, I needed it to have hope at the end. You know, I, I, for me, the kinds of stories I like to tell and what was important to me, I couldn't walk away from that without believing that there was some light in the darkness for, for the main character. Uh, which both pretty big, right? Cha- pretty big. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It, but it's tricky. And, and just like any story, you get the book and you try something and you see, you have to do that ruthless thing where you see how far you can go away from it. What if this, okay, that doesn't work. Then you come back a little bit, then you push away, then you come back, then you explore. It's not just, you're not, you don't just make decisions right off the bat because you have this amazing raw material. Some, it's more complicated in different ways. It's easier in some, but it is, it's still, you're still going to be playing with, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Ooh, I pushed too far on that. I think the one advantage you have, which I always love, is you have the characters up walking around and talking, so you get the rhythm of their speech, so it's easier to write for them. So in terms of voice authenticity with that character, it's like, oh, I know what they would do in the situation. You know, you have to make up whole new scenes. You have to, you know, it's not like if it only exists in the book, then you use it. So, but you sort of can, I feel like I I just know them much quicker than if I'm in a discovery phase with my own project. Oh yeah, I mean, that's why.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love adaptation for that reason because the depth and the richness that you can feel on the script because of all the work that author did digging in. I mean, look at Game of Thrones, you know, the depth of that from coming out of those books and how much he's set up and how much, I mean, it's a lot of it's based on the War of the Roses and history. And, you know, it you can feel that in, in the series, the depth uh, that that he brought to that. So I, that's also why I love adapting. I mean, the other thing that is c- covered under adaptation is um, um, biographies, right? Or based on a true life. and to me, the most important thing to think about when you're gonna do a real life story. Like when I worked for Jodie Foster as a producer, I felt like I'd met, I'd read every female biography that had come into our office ever in the history of the world <laughs> because it's Jodie Foster. I think we got submitted the woman who dresses up as a civil war soldier at least once a year. Um, but you know, again, a life, like let's use, use that, the woman who dresses up as a civil war soldier came in once a year. And the question is, why is it yours, right? First and foremost, why is this such a burning, not from a social point of view, not from women's rights point of view, I'm not saying all that can't be in there, but emotionally, what human condition are you exposing that I'm like, well, I know this story and I've kind of read it in a lot of scripts, but wow, never like this. I've never seen it taken here. I've never seen someone be this daring, this emotionally insightful telling me such an amazing story, right? So even the life is just the the paint that you're going to use. Like I've said this before on the show, I'm sure Karen Blixen's life was not out of Africa. That is what Sidney Pollack has told many times that story, right? If you look at his movies. Um, But he saw within her life a thematic that he related to and could build. And the other thing that a lot of people do is they want to tell me the life, like when I was a producer and I'd get stuff for Jodi, it's like she was born, she did all this stuff, usually with men being mean to her. And then she walked to China and then she died, right? And while that might be incredibly fascinating and we all it's we're all such better people that we know she existed, that's not a movie, right? Like what piece, I personally think it's much better or at least to consider doing a piece of the life that illuminates the whole life and illuminates thematically what you're going for that is beyond this person's life, that is somehow about all of our lives. Like, What is that slice, that piece that has all of that richness in it? And to be brave enough to even just do that as an experiment, because sometimes we can hold on to the training wheels of the whole life. Um, It's a little scarier flying by the seat of your pants to just take this slice and really dig into it, really get into the depth and richness of that piece. So um, so the wonderful teacher at AFI, Gil Dennis, uh, wrote Walk the Line, a biopic of Johnny Cash. And he was describing how he's since passed away, which is a real loss. But he was describing to me how he really had trouble find getting in because Johnny Cash was alive and people who are alive want you to tell the story the way they want you to tell it, right? They want their myth, their legend. Or like what I talked about in my, in my uh, week. They want that expectation of them. They want that thing in their head. They don't want to see the gap, right? So uh, get what Gil did is he asked these five questions in order to dig deeper and get past the kind of biopiciness of it and find the thematic. So he asked Johnny Cash, what was the time he was the most terrified? And he said, when his father beat his mother. And he asked Johnny Cash the saddest moment of his life. Which is when he hit his own wife, and the most shameful experience, which is when he couldn't protect his mother and brother, and when he hit his own wife, and the time when someone was the most angry at him, and he said when he hit his wife, and that she was pretty mad at him, and the moment when he was the most joyful, and he said when his wife took him back. So suddenly it goes from a biopic to a story about powerlessness. And the powerlessness he felt as a child, that in order to feel powerful, he actually then turned into the abusive man and, and his wife. So Cash might have needed connection and the feeling of power, you know, but what to avoid that powerlessness um, is is suddenly what's generating the scenes. Right. So suddenly fame and control feel like power right, and control over June. And that starts to set up the relationship, that starts to set up why scenes are in the movie or why scenes are not in the movie. And the adaption of this life starts to center on those narrative uh, dynamics. So the, 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 uh, the biography starts to center on those dynamics. So that's just a really, that was such a cool way to hear how he approached adapting a life um, and I think those questions well, can apply to any story, but certainly just to get to a, try to illuminate for you that an adaptation isn't a transference, it's a you have to dig into it with what asking those kinds of questions about your character and yourself in relationship to this piece, and why do you feel such passion about it, um, that those are the great adaptations. Um, and if that, if you guys don't think that was helpful, we can cut it
1: out, but I thought it was really. Oh, I think that was, I think it's really helpful. I think it's really, really helpful, especially because all those things are so connected, right? Shame, sadness, fear, joy, anger, right? All those emotions, you know, oh, I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, though they're such big emo- trauma, right?
0: Well, and like it does speak to what we talked about with Jen in terms of those coping mechanisms, right, to our vulnerability and and how our brains start to try to keep keep us safe, start to create these coping mechanisms. Well, in the in the novel, you're going to get to go inside and really experience those coping mechanisms and what's happening. So your job as a especially as a feature writer is how am I externalizing this into behavior, right? Because nobody's going to want your character to say it especially too early because then it's too why are we watching the movie like how is it coming into light coming into awareness um and and we have to meet them through that behavior of that coping mechanism so it also starts to dovetail it's all the same work i guess it's just you get the inspiration and the and a lot of stuff to work out from the, the the source material but it is ultimately still the same work
1: uh, we talk about adaptation, right? You look at IP, uh, movie, or uh, sorry, a book, a comic book, a song, you know, something. Uh, there's also, you know, if you're hired to rewrite something, that's your source material. There are of course parameters about what you can and can't change. If you're working on a project with somebody, you have to find that meeting place in the middle. Uh, if you're show running a show, you didn't create, it is, Uh, that relationship is really important. Um, If you're created a show and you're working with a showrunner, right? You have to figure out how to um, partner on that material in a way like the the created material is the IP and then you guys have to work on that together. So there's so many different um, ways. It's not an ad, those things aren't adaptation but they also require some similar skills which is understanding what the assignment is, what the parameters are, why you're the only one who can tell that story in the way that you can tell it, what sparks with you in that story. Um, so it's just a lot of the same things. Well, and if you're if you're working on an adaptation that has a
0: producer or if you're lucky enough with a director or even a studio, it suddenly becomes important that you know you're gonna be pitching why, especially if they already own it, why you should be the one to adapt this and it, they are going to want that personal take and your passion, And you're going to, you know, in today's world, you're going to have to really pitch the version it used to be, not in the day, but now this is the movie I see, and you're going to have to pitch it, right? Um, And that's important, but you also need to do that because everybody needs to be making the same movie because often, this can happen often, the producer sees a totally different movie in that book, right? So like using yours, like Lauren, you would be pitching, I need hope at the end, right? Well, if the producer saw it as a tragedy and loves that there's no hope, better know that up front, right? Like those are all the questions that have to be asked and digging into your own passion and what you need out of this adaptation and how you see it shaping and the journey before you even take the job because, and it doesn't matter because even when you do that, you're going to get into the middle of it and realize, oh, wait, you wanted that? But <laughs> it's just like, it's, that's right. just part of the process right. too. But you try to do the best you can, but you're going to constantly be rechecking with people In terms of, because like I talked about like that gap between what it, the expectation and what it is and how it's being written happens in every project, but especially in adaptations because everybody involved already has a very clear idea in their personal brain what that expectation is. And your job as the writer is sometimes to be ruthless and say, that is a book. And uh, I understand that the author's voice is so beautiful, but we can't fall in love with that because that is not the movie, is not how it's written. The movie is the story, is the narrative. So let's dig into that. That had the spirit of the novel, of course, and that beautiful writing has to be in it. But ultimately, I mean, I worked on a movie, I worked on development as a producer when I was working for Jody, and we worked so hard on this adaptation, this book we all loved. Um, Richter was the name of the author and he was lovely. And um, Finally, Jody, after I don't know how many drafts, was like, you know what I think? I think it's a good book. And I was like, <laughs> it is. It's a good book. But we didn't know that until like five drafts in to really start to see, oh, we love the writing. That's what we love. It's not the narrative. It, the narrative itself isn't standing up. It doesn't, it doesn't work as a film and it just you know that's just part of it sometimes you just gotta go walk the narrow road and find out um so those expectations are always
1: coming in yeah is the beauty of all narrative forms right a play a, a play can sort of follow different rules a book gets to follow different rules the screenplay has its own set of rules right so like it's fun, it's exciting, right? Long form poetry, short stories, flash fiction, like all of it has its really uh, its special place and its own rules. Yeah, uh, and the other thing you have to be
0: asking if, is if you're adapting something that's older, be that a remake of a movie or an old book or I don't know, whatever, you do have to ask, why is this modern? Because everybody that you will interact with when you try to take it to market is going to ask that question. What is modern feeling about this? And like, let's just say if Fleabag was a play, her looking at the camera and talking to you felt very modern, right? There's tons of stuff that felt modern in Fleabag, but um, you know, you, you do have to ask that question. What, what makes this feel fresh and new, right? Um, in your adaptation of that. Um, while still keeping the thematics and all the stuff that you love, what, what's fun and new and entertaining about it, um, which I know seems obvious. And yet somehow I forget sometimes as I'm <laughs> thinking about, I'd love to adapt this.
1: The other thing to be careful with in an adaptation is to overcomplicate it, which I am guilty of, right? Like, oh, I'm really inspired by this material. Here is my take on it. And then I just keep adding and adding and adding. And it's not asking for that. And it's just complicating things. So then it's about, okay, how do, and I have to do that. That's part of my process. And then I have to sort of pull out all those things and figure out what the, you know, that simple solution that includes all the complexity I laid out there. Um, But that is because you want to make it, you know, how can I plus it? Well, what if it was this? And what if it was this? And then this, and then all of a sudden it's something that is unrecognizable and not, And not the assignment, not what you were set out to do. And I do the opposite where I love the
0: subtlety of novels so much. I love the nuance that, you know, I'll put that nuance, you know, that beautifully nuanced moment where she moved the cup, except the reader's like, what's happening? Because (laughs) I didn't build up all the stuff that was inside
1: externally so that everybody knows, oh, what the cup. Yeah. And I'll have created the backstory of the woman who made the cup and (laughs) where's her family came from and what her belief system is right i i've created this whole world of characters with a backstory and it's like no no actually just throw the cup on the ground you know what the main character threw the cup on the wall that's the moment right instead of you know it's so
0: yeah either way yeah and so if you are listening and you want to learn more about how to do this i suggest you read a book read the script of that book, and then watch the movie. And there'll be three completely different things. Uh, Because of course, the script to the movie, it changes again, right? So it's really going to now become the directors and those actors and based on what you did, but it's a new adaptation in a way, in a way, it can also now become another adaptation. So like, if you watch the shipping news, read the script and watch the film, that's just one I used to give my students. So it's on the top of my head. But I'm sure there's tons and tons that you could you could do that with and you'll learn, you can't even believe how much your brain is gonna explode when you do that. Like you're gonna be like, oh
1: my God, I get it. Um, so I highly recommend doing that. I think the Princess Bride is such a good example because it has the same narrative device, the grandpa reading, but there's so much in the book that doesn't make it into the movie. They take just the right scenes that, that set the tone, that have the humor that we know that anything else would have been extra or too much but when you read the book and you loved it as much as I did and you see the movie there those moments you miss and you're like oh they didn't include that moment but then later you realize no it was the perfect for the movie it's a different thing
0: right yeah, and that's, that's hard for one. a lot of us who that's love a real books, fun
1: one you know? I mean go look at the
0: adapted yeah. nominees for the academy and find the one you love the best and go read the book and then uh Get your hands on the script and then watch the movie. And again. in
1: 2025, you'll have mine in that. That's right. right. You can do That's it right with
0: with the Lorians. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. 2025, 2024. How long does it take a movie these days? Make a movie. I don't know. A couple of months. What do you guess? Yeah. How long?
2: Jeff, do you have anything to add? Couple
1: months? Do you have anything just, to add
2: here? Just a, like a practical question for our writers who are interested in adapting IP that exists. Would you recommend they get the rights?
1: Someone should have the rights. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think adapting a book that's like you just pick up and read in the bookstore is uh, dangerous.
0: Don't do that. You'll spend years and years on it and then you can't get the rights and now you're screwed. Just, you can do a uh, public domain or you go get the rights and the way you get the rights, uh, I had a girl uh, when I taught producing who got so good at this, she's made her living at it now ever since. Um, you reach out to the author usually through their publisher um, and you send a, a you send which you can just see in the book right there's the book and you just call the, the publisher and they find out who is the who reps the book in that publisher if they have an agent even better but not always able to find that so you send the author a note through their publisher or their agent and the publisher by the way will tell you if it's available or not and rights may not be available um, you send them a note of your passion for it your incredible passion. Now, if it's a new hot book, you're probably not gonna get it. I mean, you might, this this old student of mine was really good. She would fly there and give impassioned speeches in person. And she usually got it. Um, but generally if it's an older book, um, you all have a better chance and you um, passionately talk about the adaptation and what it means to you. And you know it's going to be in line with hopefully what the author sees. Um, and then you get the rights by legally getting a lawyer to write you up the two-page uh, legal document. You, I think it, you have to give them a certain amount of money for it to feel, mm-hmm. to, for it to be real. I don't know what that is. Your lawyer can tell you 500 bucks or something, um, or 100, I can't remember. Um, you can get, um, so you get, you're getting, you can do something called a shopping agreement where they're giving you it for a very low amount of money, the rights to go out and pitch it. Um, obviously you're going to do that if you have more, you're more established and can get in those rooms, but if you're going to write it as a spec, you have to get the rights. And I know you're like lawyers, eh," but come on, it's, you can, it's going to cost you not an arm and a leg, but you have to do it because the outlay of your time,
1: when you don't have the rights, don't do it. From experience, I can tell it's don't do it. I Yes, I found myself in a situation where I was unclear on who had the rights, and it did not go well for me. Yeah, so you got to make sure
0: you say you that person when they say they have the rights, right? Great, show me the document that that has the pieces that the signatures on it. Don't do it until you see the document because I don't know. It's Hollywood people lie, people schmooze, people, obs- you know, blow smoke. So um, please have the
1: rights. Also, if you call, if you call an agent, or you know, just call the one time, because the more calls they get, the more they think people are interested, and the price goes up. <laughs> That's <I true>. love. <laughs> that
2: what a great, just like inside. Um, baseball. Yeah, because
1: I was, I asked my manager to check on rights for something and he's like, who's calling? You or me? Only one of us is calling. <laughs> I was like, okay, you call.
2: <laughs> it's like when you, I don't know if you all know this, when you check uh <laughs> flight schedules to book your ticket, if you check multiple times, they'll actually jack the price up on your own browser.
0: Yes, so, that yes, I that happened to me the other day. I was like, what? I'm, I'm actually jacking up the price because I keep looking every day for how yeah. much it is, and I'm showing them that there's so many people interested in this
1: <gasps> flight
2: do you know what here's the secret this is just unrelated but a tip for our listeners if you open an incognito window it doesn't use cookies and so the prices will actually be the market price and not your own price for the browser it'll be a different price
0: so you mean that little private thing yeah
2: open a private tab
0: my god that's the best piece of advice of this whole
1: podcast I'm actually very upset about place. this, having just purchased a ticket to Italy.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> now you know for next time. Like, I oh love you God. guys are. Oh, I was, was going to say you guys are giving like great advice practically about how to adapt material. And I'm like, did you know that if you open a private window, you I'm can get a ticket? I tell you, prepared. it's the
0: best advice of the whole thing. <laughs> Go ahead, everybody, jump on Facebook and tell them it's the best advice of the whole thing.
2: <laughs> um, Meg, when you mentioned reading a book, reading the script, and watching a movie, I think like. It's a cliche answer, but Sorkin has some really interesting adaptations. Obviously, The Social Network took the whole story of Mark Zuckerberg's life and packed it in. It's a very long script, but still into a shorter amount of time. And I think even more astutely, like the adaptation of Steve Jobs that he did, um, where you know he took a 1,000 page biography and instead chose to tell Steve Jobs' story through three specific product launches. So he selects three unique days in Steve Jobs' life and how those actually have to do with his relationship with his daughter. So it's like- and such there's a specific- the
0: pitch. There's the yep, pitch there's right the pitch. there. Right? Exactly. Like, so that's this, his case. Takes- a thousand, we're never gonna be able to do the whole thing, but right. here's how I would do it. Three product launches and it's about him and his daughter.
2: Yeah. So, like, I get it. He's a great, ad- even the new Lucy movie, he didn't tell Lucy, Lucille Ball's whole life. He chose one week where a story of her possible connection to communism was released in the newspaper. And like, that was in some ways a much more truthful, telling of lucille ball's life than an entire movie would have been so we're aiming for truth and oftentimes truth is much more found in small observations of people's life than grand ones so
0: love it perfect more beautifully said than i said i love it all right well thank you guys so much for listening if you haven't yet please join our tsl facebook group it's a beautiful place to meet other writers and find additional support outside of the show and remember,
1: you are not alone and keep writing.
2: Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.